Hai Haramai. Kia ora. Ko wai aho. Who am I? Uh, no Itaria, no Horana o Kutupuna, no Tauranga aho. Ko Moao te maunga, ko Wairoa te awa. Ko Louisa toku mama, ko Ray toku papa, ko Luke toku hamoa, ko David Roche toku tāne. Heroia aho. Ko Daniela Roche aho. Nareira tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Welcome to church this evening. I just told you that um, my ancestors hail from Italy and Holland, that I grew up in Tauranga, where my mountain was Moao and my river was Wairoa. Uh, my mum's name's Louisa, my dad's name's Ray, my brother's name's Luke, and my husband's name is Dave. I can say that in my mihi now. I've been married for two months. Um, I'm a lawyer and my name is Daniela. Welcome. It's so cool to be here with you tonight. Uh, how are we all going? Good. The vocal levels have been a bit low, so I'm going to ask that question again and you're all going to try harder. How are we all going? Okay, good. There we go. Tonight I want to talk to you about boxing. I know nothing about boxing but I'm going to talk to you about boxing nonetheless. And the reason I want to talk to you about boxing is there's a lot of things that I admire about boxing, but the thing that I love most is that a boxer always has someone in their corner, don't they? It's when the going gets tough, maybe they've had a really hard few rounds and they feel like they've got nothing left to give. They know they can head over to their corner and their coach or their trainer or maybe some form of doctor or physical expert will be waiting for them to give them a pep talk, to give them a pat on the back, maybe to stitch up a few wounds. I don't know what it is, but a boxer always knows that there's someone in their corner. And in the same way, there is a select few number of people who make the cut around the edge of a boxing ring we all have a select number of people that we trust with a front row seat in our lives and that who we give access to our corner. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. But what do I mean by our corner? And, and the way I want to phrase this tonight is there's this diagram, there's this uh, concept that a guy called Andy Stanley talks about, uh, and it's going to come up on the screen he talks about these three circles. The first circle is the intimacy circle, and this is the one that is synonymous with the corner, okay? So the intimacy circle is the small group of people, probably only three or four, that are in your life and who profoundly influence and shape you, whose voice you trust, whose advice you seek. That's your intimacy circle. Then we've got our influence circle, slightly larger, us got still people who meaningfully, in, meaningfully influence you and who you meaningfully influence, but not on the same level as your intimacy circle. So you've got your intimacy circle. You following with me, everyone? Yes. Um, your intimacy circle, your influence circle. And then we move to the care circle. And this one's your biggest circle. And this is the circle that probably the majority of your friends sit in. It's the circle where you care for each other. You love each other. You enjoy hanging out. The level of influence in this circle is quite a bit lower again. These three circles, I think, capture our human relationships really, really well. And so tonight, my question 
is who's in your corner? Who's in your corner? Because we all have people in our corner. Like I said earlier, they're the people whose advice we seek. They're the ones whose company we enjoy the most. Who's in your corner? Because in the same way that a boxer has to very wisely select the people that they put in their corner, so too do we have to choose wisely the people in ours. And some people might say it doesn't really matter. Some people might say that we're not really that deeply influenced by the people we surround ourselves with, so it's not a big deal. Well, tonight I want to say it is a big deal. The people in your corner matter, and choosing those people wisely matters too. And the reason that it matters is that we were all created to be in relationship with each other, weren't we? Uh, I was saying today that I heard recently um, a speaker said that the first problem we encounter in the Bible isn't actually sin. It's loneliness. Isn't that crazy? That's the first problem that God solved. We are innately relational. That's how we've been created. And because of that, we're deeply interested in and we're deeply influenced by other people. This influences us on an everyday level. Who knows that the hobbies they're into or the foods that they like to eat or the activities they like to do often are influenced and led by the people that they hang out with. Uh, This also impacts us on a bigger level than that, on a physical level, on a mental level. But as Christians, those of us that call ourselves Jesus people, our relationships also impact us on a spiritual level. You see, they uh, they have power to influence our relationship and understanding of God. Who's in your corner? And the link I want to draw between this question I've asked and the passage we encounter tonight is that tonight we meet two guys. We're introduced to Timothy and we're introduced to Epaphroditus. Uh, I think I'm saying his name right. I'm going to say it with confidence and you'll be none the wiser. Uh, But if you know I'm not saying it correctly, feel free to tell me uh, at the end of the service. Um, We meet these two guys. And the, the writer of this book we're studying Uh, Philippians, he's a guy called Paul, and he takes this moment to talk about these guys. He talks about who they are. He talks about their character. And at first glance, when I was looking at this, this seemed kind of random to me. It seemed a bit out of place. Why does Paul just stop in his tracks, turn sideways, and start talking about his friends? But I think the reason he does this is because these men are examples of people who had incredibly admirable godly character. They're people who were in Paul's corner. And I reckon if we asked him that question, that's who he would have said. And this series we're diving into, the theme of this series is joy. And what we're looking at is that true joy is a joy that holds fast despite our circumstances. He, uh, Paul, the writer of this uh, letter, he's writing this from a prison. So he's got a bit to say about this. He's in a pretty tricky spot himself, yet he writes this whole letter about joy and having joy in your life. And I think talking about Timothy and talking about Epaphroditus is linked to that as well. Because while it would be untrue to say that the people in our lives determine our joy, it would be unwise to think that they don't contribute to it. 
And my heart, and as I was preparing, was what's the wise approach to the people in our lives? And I think we get a good insight into who the kinds of people we want in our corner are as we examine the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus tonight. For me, as I was reading about these two men, the question that hit me in the face was, do the people in my corner bear the same kind of godly and joy-giving fruit that these men did? And the harder question that then hit me in the face, do I bear that same kind of fruit for the people whose corners I have been trusted with? Those are questions I wanna dive into this evening. And before we read the passage, I'll just give you a little bit of background if you're new or you've forgotten what we're talking about. So uh, this book, like I said before, is written by a chap called Paul. His story is insane. If you haven't, if you don't know much about Paul, I'd encourage you to look into his life. Basically, he went from persecuting Christians to building the early church uh, and sharing the gospel, dedicating his life to sharing the gospel. And as part of his ministry, he established churches all throughout Europe. And the first church he established in Europe was this church called the Philippian Church in a city called Philippi. And that's the audience of this letter, that, of this book. They're the people receiving this from Paul. And like I said, he's writing this from a prison. And the reason he's writing it is because in his imprisonment, a lot of his churches that he had helped to establish had almost forgotten about him and hadn't come to his aid. But the Philippian church was different. They had sent a messenger to him with a financial gift and as a spiritual support to him in this time of trial and need. And so this letter is a practical letter. It's, a, it's the thank you letter. But it also contains a lot of cool stuff, a lot of wisdom about what living a life, a joy-filled Christian life looks like and how we do that. So that's the background to Philippians. And with that in mind, I'd like to read tonight's passage. Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 to 13. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I can see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself may also come soon. From verse 25, it says, But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Can I pray? God, I thank you tonight for the word you have for this community. I thank you that you're speaking to me. And I just, I wanna lay down whatever it is that I've prepared. I wanna pray for your spirit to breathe on it, that it may encourage, and that it may give us a greater picture of, of what life with you looks like. 
And I, tr I trust you tonight. And I ask you, I invite you to, to take the lead and to speak to us. Amen. So like I said, I think there's a lot we can learn from these two guys we learn about. And the first guy I want to look at tonight is Timothy. And the way that Paul describes Timothy in this passage is a way that I would love to be described. He's described as a man like no other, although I'd probably prefer a woman like no other if it was about me. And I think this makes me wonder why, what had he done to be described in such a way? And for me, and I'm just going to say these are my takes out of this uh, passage, so I hope that they bless you uh, and they encourage you. There are four pillars of Timothy's character that I think we see through how he's described in this letter that point toward how it is Paul came to describe him as a man like no other. And I want to dive straight in with the first one, which is that he genuinely cared for fellow believers. You see, Paul is talking about how he wants to send Timothy to the Philippians because he knows that there's no one else who will genuinely care for them in the same way that Timothy will. Wow. Paul doesn't say that there's not many like him. Paul doesn't say, oh, there's a handful like Timothy. He goes hard out. He says there's no one like him when it comes to his care for the Philippian church, for their interests. And that made me think, like, what were the interests of the Philippian church? If, if Timothy's a man who cares so deeply for them, well, what are those interests? And I was looking into it a bit, and it's interesting to know the context of this city, the context of this church. And the, the city of Philippi uh, is a, is in, was a Roman military colony. And this meant that this place uh, subscribed to and was under the leadership of Julius Caesar. I don't know how many of you have did classics at high school. You may have learned a bit about Julius Caesar. But he was pretty full of himself. And he went around preaching that he was Lord and Savior, that he was the source of salvation and peace to the world. You see, this was a widely known and, and actually quite heavily believed narrative. And it was um, true in Philippi as well. And so the Philippian church is in this position where they are preaching Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but that in a society where the political and social messages were quite the opposite. The Philippian church was tasked with sharing a message that didn't align with the narrative of the time. It was tough. And the other thing they faced was persecution. Like not just keyboard warriors having something to say about what you're sharing. Real life persecution was a real threat for the Philippian church. This was what was going on for them. And Paul says that Timothy had genuine care for this. From this, we see that Timothy was a man who understood and empathized with the tough stuff that was going on and wanted to play his part in helping them through that. I think it's a really admirable thing about Timothy's character. The next thing that stood out for me was that he wasn't focused on himself. Paul talks about in this passage how everyone else only cared about and looked out for themselves, not the things of Jesus. And it's unlikely in saying this that Paul meant literally every single person. It was probably more like a, an exaggerated comment about the fact that that was the dominant nature of their society. 
It was a self-absorbed society. It was self-interested. It was self-obsessed. The things of Jesus took second place. But Timothy was different. He went against this norm. His eyes weren't on himself. Rather, they looked outward toward other people. They looked upward toward the call of God. Wow, what a man. He wasn't focused on himself. He wasn't focused on his own interests and his own needs. He had an other-focused lens. This was rare then, and don't we know it's rare today? So I was thinking about this. I had to check myself. Am I, I've got room to grow when it comes to mirroring this characteristic in my life really uh, impressed me about Timothy. He wasn't focused on himself. The third thing is that he had proven character. This is how Paul describes him, a man of proven character. And I'm sure you all know that nothing can be proven unless it's been tested. It's just logic, isn't it? Nothing can be proven unless it's been tested. So this suggests that his character had been tested, and and we actually read about what proven character means in the book of Romans, which Paul also wrote. Um, And in Romans chapter five, verse four, Paul says this. He says, we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. From reading this and understanding that proven character is how Paul describes Timothy, we can see that Timothy was a man who had to endure through affliction. He endured through affliction. And I love that in the Romans passage, a product of proven character is hope. So I love that idea that he was also a man full of hope. Timothy had proven character. And the final pillar of his character that stood out to me was that he was a servant-hearted son. Paul describes the way that Timothy served alongside him as being like a son with a father. There is such a humble and teachable spirit to this, isn't there? And I like to, I was encouraged by this because I, I just picture Timothy as someone who was humble enough to acknowledge that Paul was a man who, could be, who he could learn from, whose leadership he was willing to come under, whose discipline he was willing to receive whose guidance he wanted to be part of. He was a servant-hearted son. Wow, four pillars of a pretty incredible man. It makes sense that he was described as a man like no other. And then we move to Epaphrodites. And he is a man worthy of honor. And the four pillars of his character are equally as impressive. But a little bit of background to this guy before we launch in. So you know how I said earlier that... uh, the Philippian church had sent a messenger to Paul in his imprisonment. It was this guy. He was the messenger. Uh, and he wasn't just like a courier driver, please sign here and off he goes. He stuck around with Paul and he partnered with him uh, in his ministry. We're not sure exactly how long he was there, um, but he was there long enough for Paul and him to become pretty close friends because in this passage we read that If he had died from his sickness, Paul would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Clearly, there was a closeness to that relationship uh, that had developed. But apart from knowing that he was the messenger, we don't know much more about this guy. Some suggest he may have been an elder in the church in Philippi, but even that's not certain. 
But despite knowing not much about him, this passage gives us a picture of his character. And the first pillar of his character that um, stood out to me as I was reading this was that he was unapologetic about being human. And this might not seem like something to hold in high esteem. It might even seem like a bit like a, an obvious thing to say, but I think it is worthy of taking note of. You see, Paul was aware that Epaphroditus was longing to be back with his people in Philippi. Other translations describe it as him greatly missing his people in Philippi. And Paul has also been made aware that Epaphroditus has become distressed because the people in Philippi had heard he had become sick. It's interesting that the only other time that the word for distressed is used in the Bible is to explain Jesus's condition, Jesus's feeling before his arrest. That's the word that Paul uses to describe how distressed Epaphroditus was. That's pretty real, that's pretty human. And it's unclear why he was so deeply distressed because they knew he was sick. It seems a bit random. Um, maybe he thought that his church back home would have assumed that his sickness had prevented him from doing his job right. So maybe he was scared that people were having opinions about him that weren't true and he had fear of man. I don't know. Another thought is maybe he feared that them knowing uh, he was sick made them think that he had burdened rather than blessed Paul. Um, whatever the reason, he was deeply distressed. And I think it's a real humanity to him that we see through these emotions. That he didn't pretend to be a superhero. Actually, he obviously communicated how he was feeling with Paul. I mean, it's really courageous to be vulnerable about how we're feeling, isn't it? It's actually really hard. But we get a little glimpse that that could have been the kind of guy that Epaphroditus was. And I think that's really admirable. Another pillar of his character that stood out for me was that he was trustworthy. He was the, mes the messenger who was chosen to go to Paul. He was chosen by his church for a role that required not only practical but spiritual input. He must have shown himself to be trustworthy of that job. Think about that. He was selected to go. And that makes me wonder what his life was before he went on that journey. I like to picture him as a man who was faithful and proved himself to be trustworthy with the little things. And I think he must have built a reputation that meant that people had confidence in him. Another thing that stood out to me was that he's a doer. Yes, he was chosen for this task, but he also said yes to it. He set off on the journey. And, and if, if Paul was in a Roman prison, which is a dominant thought about where he was, that's a long way away. Rome and Philippi weren't just like Otaki and Wellington. They were hundreds and hundreds of miles apart. And what I love about this is that he was prepared to move. He didn't just talk about how nice it would be to go and help Paul. He didn't just talk about how nice it would be to maybe spread the gospel. He laced up his sandals and off he went. He was a doer. He got moving. And we also know he was a doer because Paul describes him as such. He uses this phrase co-worker to describe him. 
which alludes to the fact that being part of sharing the gospel does take work. It doesn't just happen lying down. You've got to move with it. But Epaphroditus was prepared to do that. And the fourth pillar of his character was that he took a gamble for the gospel. Paul says that he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Risking your life. Do you know that the word that's used here in the Greek is a word called, I'm going to say it confidently, parabalumai. And this is the only time in the Bible this word is ever used. This is quite, this is actually really crazy. It's often, often words are repeated throughout and you can cross-reference where they've been used to try and understand their meaning. This one, it stands alone. And the reason it stands alone is it was more commonly used just in regular conversation to describe gamblers. To describe gamblers. Another interpretation of, of what this meant was to risk everything on the roll of the dice. It also meant maybe to recklessly expose oneself or to rashlessly expose oneself to danger. This is the type of attitude he took to sharing the gospel. Wow. He risked his life for the gospel. When I read something that really I found interesting is that in the, early, in the days of the early church, there was an association of men and women called the Parabolonai, which comes from that that uh, Greek word, they were the gamblers and it was their aim to visit the prisoners and the sick, especially those who were ill with dangerous and infectious diseases. This is how that term would have been known. And this is what Paul uses to describe the spirit with which Epaphroditus sought to seek, sought to, sought to serve the gospel. It made me think, what am I willing to risk for the gospel? I read a quote that said, our God is whatever we will take the biggest risk for in our life. Wow. With that in mind, what is our God? We see from Epaphroditus' life that he was prepared to put it all on the line for the gospel. These men are admirable men, and their character is, uh, is worthy of admiration. And it's for this reason that Paul gives the instruction to the Philippians he says, therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Paul's encouraging us to make sure, I think anyway, to hold people like Epaphroditus, people like Timothy in great honor and put them in our corner. Like I said earlier, our source of joy can't be people. That truly can only be found in God. But the people we do have in our lives can contribute to our joy. Are we being wise with the voices we're listening to? It's challenged me this week. Can I just invite the band to come up? It's not hard to see why Timothy and Epaphroditus were chosen by Paul as the company he kept in his corner. They were men with admirable godly character and they did bring Paul great joy. And they're challenging examples for us that I think we can learn from and we can use as almost mirrors against the people in our own lives and against ourselves, whoa, against ourselves. But I think something else we can pick up on, and just before I end, I want to point this out, is that we see this incredible shadow of Paul's character in the way he talks about these men. And I just want to point out two things that stand out to me about Paul. The first is that 
He cares about other people even in the midst of his own trouble. Remember I said that Paul's in prison? He is potentially about to be killed for his faith. He's in the face of potential death. Yet it mattered to him that Epaphroditus should be met with the type of welcome he deserved. He took the time to put it into words. He took the time to think about his needs. He honored his friend. He served his friend, even in the midst of his own big stuff. I think that's a big challenge, isn't it? Another thing that he did is he was intentional to honor the people he loved. He was quick to celebrate Timothy and Epaphroditus for their incredible character. He wanted to shout it from the rooftops. And often I think for us, we wait for a special occasion to do this for the people in our world. We wait for a birthday or or a wedding speech. But sadly, I think the place we often wait for is a funeral, isn't it? Often the time that we actually declare our um, admiration and our love for the people that have been in our world is when it's no longer earthside for them. And I think that we can all take a step on being better at this at honoring the people that we have been blessed with in our corner. And I've got a favorite writer. His name's, well, one of my favorite, I've got lots. Uh, a chap called Bob Goff. Um, and he's got a book called Everybody Always. Uh, you should read it if you want just a really encouraging book. Um, but he says this. He says, don't tell people what to do. Tell them who they are. We'll become in our lives whoever the people we love the most say we are. And I just think he's getting at this idea that we need to be quick to honor and call out the gold and the people we have in our sphere. And he goes, Bob goes on to say that God did this in the Bible. He told Moses he was a leader and Moses became a leader. He told Noah he was a sailor and Noah became a sailor. He told Sarah she was a mother and she became a mother. He told Peter he was a rock and he didn't become a rock, but he did lead the church. Paul shows us, he demonstrates to us how to be someone who champions and advocates and honors the people in his sphere, in his corner. I want to be more like Paul in that regard. So we've got this moment to worship. And as I was thinking about how, um, how to land tonight, honestly, I, I just felt the Holy Spirit um, say to just leave it really open for God, for him to prompt in each individual the response that you each need, uh, because it will look different across the board. But there's a few thoughts that I want to share as we close that that might be responses you you might want to make tonight. Uh, The first is maybe you've realized that some of the people in your corner uh, don't don't demonstrate the kind of godly and joy-giving fruit that uh, they could and that we need. Um, and this is, this is a hard one because maybe there's something you need to do about that. And there's a, that, that's really challenging, but I think we see from um, reading about the lives of these men, the, the joy that can come through having godly people in your corner. Maybe that's the challenge for you tonight. But maybe you are realizing that you have been trusted with a seat in someone else's corner. This is the one that for me has really challenged me this week. And I'm realizing 
I want to, there's work that I can do and there's time I need to spend with the Lord to ask Him to keep refining my character so it looks more like God's character so that I can bring my little bit of that into their world. I want to take seriously being trusted with the responsibility and the honor of being in someone's corner because we all are in someone's and maybe there's a, there's some character growth to do tonight. Or maybe you want to be quicker to honor the people in your world. Maybe you realize that you're slow to do that for whatever reason, um, but that's something that you want to do. Uh, or maybe, maybe you've just realized tonight, wow, I have incredible people around me. I have people who aren't Timothy and Epaphroditus, but I've got friends, I've got family who are seeking after God, who are wanting to glorify Him with their lives, who are investing in godly character. And you need to take time to actually praise God and say, thank you for placing those people in my life. I I don't know what else it might be, but I'd love to pray. uh, And then I'd love to just use this time to sing one or two final songs. Um, But yeah, who's in your corner? Whose corner are you in? And, and, and how do you need to move tonight? So can I please invite you to stand?